The Starlet Bandits Part 2 After two failed heists, it was obvious that robbing banks wasn't Nina's thing. But Kadira sensed a golden opportunity. All this time, she'd been angling to get closer to Bobby, wondering if she could replace Nina as his bottom bitch. So when Bobby got tight on cash again, she was ready with an idea. Why not hit another bank? As Kadir saw it, the problem was that Nina got too nervous. She wasn't smooth enough. The best bank robber would be someone who didn't even know they were doing it. Bobby nodded. And then his green eyes flashed. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? He said. They invited the gullible Haley out for a drive. Without telling her where they were going or why, Bobby, Nina, and Kadira took her to a Bank of America in the valley. They pulled up, and Bobby gave Haley a pre-written note. It said, Don't step away from your drawer, or else I'll start shooting customers. No die packs. Haley didn't even bother reading it. Just go in, Bobby said. Hand this note to the teller. They'll give you some money from one of my accounts. Put it in your bag, and don't worry. I'll be on the phone if you need anything from me while you're in there. Nina watched Bobby hand Haley the pair of dark sunglasses. Haley put them on, walked into the bank, and passed the note to the teller. Kadira was right. It worked. Haley walked out with $6,000 in her zebra print bag. Oh my God, she said as she got in the car. That was amazing. I didn't even have to give them any account information. Fuck. Bobby said when he saw the money. This is good shit. Just like that, they were hooked. Haley had no clue what she'd done until she saw her picture on the news. How could she not be upset? She'd been tricked. And again, she just found out she was pregnant. Her boyfriend had deserted her and her family wanted nothing to do with her. She told Bobby, I'm about to have this baby. I really need money. Two days later, Bobby and Nina drove her 16 miles to the suburb of Mission Hills, where Haley burst out of a bank with $7,000 in cash. As soon as Special Agent May saw the grainy security footage, he knew the Starlet Bandit had returned. But even though the sunglasses were the same, he realized he wasn't dealing with just a single criminal. This was a ring. Heading up a bank robbery investigation can become surprisingly personal. It's not unheard of for FBI agents to coordinate with the robbers about when they'll turn themselves in, or to befriend former robbers after they've served their time, or even to show up with them years later to the premieres of movies based on their crimes. All that Hollywood stuff wasn't May's style, but every so often, He'd agree to grab a coffee with a former criminal and spend a few hours talking. There were evil people out there, he knew. But there were way more good people than bad. Still, before he could even think of being friendly, he had to catch them first. The money was great. 
But the robberies made Nina nervous. When you mess with someone's cash, they get angry. But she got a cut, and she didn't want to disappoint Bobby. Besides, if she walked away from him, she'd have nothing. Who would ever love someone like her? When she tried to picture a life away from all this, it's like her imagination froze. Now that Kadira had seen little Haley do some robberies, she knew she could pull it off herself. Three days after the Mission Heels heist, Kadira put on the sunglasses and kicked off her own Starlet Bandit career with a vengeance. She hit a B of A in Palmdale, then a chase in Mission Hills, all with Bobby and Nina in the getaway car. Kadira was good, old, decisive, ridiculously confident. And she relished the role like an action movie villain. Sometimes she even added to the Starlet Bandit costume with a black and white baseball cap tipped to the side. With the bandits on a roll, Bobby started getting annoyed with their weird new fame. The cops had security footage of his girls, so he couldn't post ads on Craigslist for their escort services. He even had to take his TV show episodes down from MySpace in case the cops recognized the star. Nina sympathized, but Kadira didn't give a damn about his fading dreams. Robbing banks was too much fun. One day, she even took off on her own and hit some banks in Las Vegas. Then she came back to L.A. and did two more, all with the signature sunglasses perched on her nose. The bandits never changed the costume because they felt it was a generic, everyday look. Walk into a bank in that outfit, and nobody looks twice. Not until your face is on the news. And now, Kadira's freckled face was all over the news, like a trailer for a summer blockbuster. KTLA and ABC7, even CNN ran a story on her spree. I'm a star! Kadir squealed after seeing footage from one of her heists. That's not the same thing, Bobby said in irritation. Yo, I want to hit a casino next, Kadir said. Nina rolled her eyes. Don't be stupid, she said. Have you seen the security at those places? <sighs> you won't even make it to the exit. But Kadir was high on the thrill, and she wanted to shake things up. Bobby and Nina were still living together, while... Kadira had to share a room with Haley and the other girls at the Goodnight Inn, a rundown motel just off the freeway. Emboldened by the crime spree, Kadira had no problem confronting Nina about it. Kadira was supposed to be in the apartment with Bobby. She was supposed to be the one with all the money, buying whatever her heart desired. After all, she was the one bringing him all this cash. What was Nina doing? just sitting in the passenger seat while Kadira took the risk. Anything involving Kadira always got out. She just couldn't stop herself from talking. So Nina soon discovered what Bobby had been saying. He'd been telling her that she was going to be his number one girl and take over for Nina. She just needed to hold on a little longer. He wasn't ready to make that move just yet. Nina wasn't worried about her special position as Bobby's main girl, but she tried reasoning with him about the robberies. They made plenty of money by turning tricks. Now, Kadira was all cocky like she was bulletproof. This whole Starlet Bandits thing was getting out of control. 
They needed to be careful, or Kadira's big mouth would get them in trouble. You don't need to worry about that, Bobby told her. It'll be fine. We know how to get away with this. We are being broadcast on the news, Nina said. <sighs> money is money, Bobby said. We're not stopping now. It was a sunny morning in L.A. when Bobby and Nina pulled out of the parking lot at the Good Night Inn and a siren swirled behind them. The cops had been monitoring the place for sex work. And when they ran the plates on the car, they saw that Bobby was on parole. While they searched the vehicle, one of the cops separated Nina from Bobby and said, Who do you think you're with? Nina didn't understand what he meant. Suddenly, the cops started listing off facts. Robert St. John. His real name was Henry McLevin. He wasn't 32. He was well into his 40s. And by the way, his 11 years in prison weren't just for dealing pot like he told her. They were also for pimping underage girls and a lewd act with a child. The cops didn't find anything in the car, so they let them go. But Nina's head spun. As they drove away, she said, Is there anything you want to tell me? Bobby got defensive. Yeah, that wasn't his real age, he said. Just a clerical error that never got fixed. He'd had his name legally changed, so he wasn't sure why they were using some old one. As for his time in prison, well, that wasn't what it sounded like. He'd let a teenager crash with him. Some desperate kid he just wanted to help out, not knowing that she happened to be a prostitute. It was all a frame-up, he said. Just the way the system broke a guy like him. Nina was livid. But beneath her anger was a deep confusion, on the verge of panic. If he'd lied to her about all that, what was true? Ever since she came to L.A., she'd been putting Bobby first, but now she sensed a horrible emptiness, as if, on the other side of his dreams, there was nothing. Meanwhile, Special Agent May had just got his first big break, all thanks to Kadira's big mouth. Bragging to her friends about life as a starlet bandit finally caught up to her. Someone tipped off the FBI. The informer provided her name and said she was staying at the Good Night Inn, room 317. When the bandits hit another bank in Granada Hills, Special Agent May's team figured, hell, let's swing by. As their cruiser pulled into the motel parking lot, they saw Kadira on the third-floor balcony, talking on her phone. It was like spotting a celebrity. She looked exactly like the woman in the footage. Kadira glanced down and saw the car. Shit. They put her in cuffs, and in the back of the car, she talked and she talked, almost mocking. You know, it's my birthday today, she told May. Are you really going to make me spend my birthday in jail? But when they got to the interview room, reality sunk in. May spread the photos of her at a Woodland Hills robbery across the table, 
like a talent agent showing headshots of a girl coming in for an audition. In the photo, you could just make out the top of her Echo Unlimited shirt beneath her sweatshirt. Bobby had bought it for her. This you? May asked. All the swagger fell away. I want a lawyer, she said. With Kadira picked up, Bobby was anxious to replenish his talent pool. He started calling women who were on the outer edge of their circle, asking if they'd be down to hit a bank or two. The show must go on. Nina felt it was sloppy using random, desperate girls, but Bobby told her to relax. As a more mature woman, her presence was a comfort to the other girls. Bobby knew just the right way to flatter her, and it worked. Fine, she said. She'd go along with it for one more job. Bobby rented a Chevy Malibu and they picked up a girl named Ashley. She was staying at her mom's house in Lancaster, a city in the western Mojave area, just outside LA. He handed Ashley a note, a purse to carry the cash and the famous sunglasses. They swooped through the valley and hit a Northridge bank, but it wasn't as much as they wanted. So they headed for Mission Hills, you could call this bank a regular spot for the Starlet Bandits. They'd robbed it twice before. But what they didn't know was that the cops had gotten word that the bandits were out working that day. They knew the group liked to hit several banks in a row, so they sent officers to surveil the branches across the valley. Bobby pulled to the Mission Hills Bank. On her way in, Ashley walked right past a plain-clothes cop parked outside. Ashley disappeared through the doors. Bobby and Nina sat in the car. They waited. And waited. Bobby got jittery. What was taking her so long? Then a bank employee burst out the door and raced across the parking lot, shouting that they'd been robbed. The cop snapped to attention. The chase was on. Nina saw Ashley run away the phone up to her ear, screaming, Where are you? Come and get me, they're chasing me! Bobby sped around the block, hoping to catch her first, hollering possible exit routes into the phone. Then Nina spotted her. Maybe they'd escape, after all. But Ashley turned the wrong way. Simple as that. The exit was closed. Ashley was toast. Nina and Bobby bailed, just as the cop trained his gun on Ashley and told her to freeze. As they drove away, Bobby started rambling. The girl doesn't know my real name. I gave her a burner number. She doesn't know anything about me, really. There's nothing to worry about. Nina felt sick. A couple hours later, Ashley's mom called Bobby. If he gave them the money for bail, Ashley would keep her mouth shut. What her mom didn't know was that Ashley was already telling Agent May everything. Ashley's arrest had caught May by surprise. A new starlet bandit? Good Lord, how many were there? Still, he knew a loose string when he saw one. First Kadira, now Ashley. Pull that string and it all led back to Bobby St. John. And here was the twist. Bobby was still on parole and still wearing that location-tracking ankle bracelet. 
May's team put out a request to get the location data, and the result was unequivocal. It placed Bobby at the scene of 13 robberies by the Starlet Bandits. Meanwhile, Nina's world was falling apart. Bobby's lies, the girls getting booked, she wanted out. Her ex-boyfriend, Matt, had started sending her Facebook messages. He was out of prison. He missed her. Would she ever consider coming back? Not thinking twice, she packed her stuff and took off. She didn't even say goodbye to Bobby. Up in Northern California, she reunited with Matt. He proposed marriage, and she thought, sure, why not? But Matt was still no good. They broke up just two weeks after the wedding, and Nina was stuck with her family, back where she started. I want to go to the bar, her mom said. Drive me around. The days smeared together. Nina didn't know where she'd go next, until her phone rang. It was Bobby. To her surprise, he wasn't mad at her for leaving. He just said, What do you want for your birthday? To be anywhere other than here, she said. He sent her a train ticket to L.A. Looking at the ticket, she knew she shouldn't go. But there was still something about Bobby that seduced her. The way he could just snap his fingers and make things happen. He was the only one who'd shown her a different life was possible. Even if things had gone wrong. She got on the train. With every station she passed through on her journey south, Salinas, San Luis Obispo, Oxnard, she knew she should get off the train for good. But she didn't. Bobby's pull on her was still too strong. When he picked her up at Union Station in L.A., she couldn't help but hate herself a little. Just like the day they met, they went for a drive through Hollywood. You enjoy the trip down? He asked as they embraced. It was fine, she said. Don't lie, he said with a wide grin. You're happy to be back. She didn't know how to feel, boomeranged back into his life. That's when police lights filled the car. The LAPD pulled them over and got out with their guns extended. They told Bobby to step out of the vehicle first, then Nina. She felt the warm pavement against her cheek and listened to the shouts. She knew in that moment that she was going to prison. This was the end of everything. The new life she'd always longed for was out of reach forever. And she'd never even had the space to dream of what it might be. She closed her eyes and felt the cuffs bite her wrists. A year and a half later, Nina toyed with a dream catcher on her prison cot. She'd learned to collect hair until she had enough for the web. Then she'd trade the dream catcher for commissary goods. The women in here needed anything that might bring them good luck. A shorter sentence, a visit from a friend, or just another day of survival. But this was Nina's last dream catcher. 
She'd have to leave it behind, but she looked at it a final time, asking for protection. The guards escorted her for a final walk through the block. Her fellow inmates mocked her as she passed. They'd see her again, they said. This wasn't real freedom. Don't get used to it. Nina had always been solitary on the inside. Her family never visited her, and she didn't have any friends, not even the bandits, who were serving their own time. There was no real loyalty between them anyway. Nina found out early that Kadira had betrayed them all. In fact, Kadira was so scared of what she'd done, she'd requested she'd be transferred to a different prison so she wouldn't be locked up with Nina. Not that Nina would have done anything. She'd always known Kadira was capable of something like that. You can't blame a snake when it bites you. And what about Bobby? He'd managed to send her a few notes through his prison network. Notes that said he loved her. Stay loyal. We're in this together. One day, we'll be free and all our dreams will come true. But Nina didn't have a dream. Not really. All the dreams were his. Maybe that was the problem. Like a hole at the center of her life, she never answered the notes, just passed them to her lawyer. Soon they stopped coming, and then she was truly alone. It was awful to be alone on a prison block, but for the first time in her life, no one else's voice was in her head. When you make dirty money, you never get to keep it. So Nina left prison with nothing but her leftover commissary cash and the extra-large sweatsuit given to her upon release. Its fabric pulled around her as she stepped into the light of a winter afternoon, the sun so bright that she had to close her eyes. She got in a cab and headed towards Los Angeles. As the skyline materialized in the distance, the city seemed to call her. She felt so nervous that her legs shook. It would be easy to get back on the street, to prove those convicts right. This isn't real freedom. Nina shut the voices out. She was going to the airport. Before she could think twice, Nina hustled into the terminal and bought a cheap ticket east. She felt nervous as she passed through security. They let her through. She found her seat on the plane. In a few minutes, it pulled back from the gate. As the engine surged and the wheels left the runway, Nina focused on the huge empty sky. She didn't know where she was going or what she would do, but she had to trust that there was a real life waiting for her somewhere. The plane pushed higher and the whole country seemed to open, the landscape curving toward the east. Nina closed her eyes tight and tried to imagine what it could be like out there. You've been listening to Paperless, an audio magazine by Vespucci.